Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Equalizer contributor Party Katri. How's it going, Party? I'm doing well. Yeah, not a lot to complain about. Good. That's great. <laughs> great to hear. Uh, <laughs> uh, a lot has happened since you and I personally last spoke, right? We have uh, Asian Cup winners. We have a CBA ratified in NWSL. Lots of progress. That's great. But we're going to start with, you know, get back to the top line here. U.S. women's national team. She believes Cup roster dropped um, on Friday, I believe. Um, and there's a lot. Oh, Thursday, Thursday, not Friday. Same thing. Yes. Very. I, the days are running together. Um, so I'm just going to run down the list here and we will break it down. So three goalkeepers. Uh, Audrey, uh, Aubrey Kingsbury, who, who is formerly Aubrey Bledsoe, Casey Murphy, and Alyssa Nair, defenders Alana Cook, Abby Dahlkemper, Tina Davidson, Emily Fox, Sophia Huerta, Kelly O'Hara, Emily Sonnet, and Becky Sauerbrunn. Uh, midfielders Morgan Gatra, Lindsay Horan, Rose Lavelle, Katarina Macario, Christy Mewis, Ashley Sanchez, and Andy Sullivan. And then the forwards are Ashley Hatch, Mallory Pugh, Midge Purse, Sophia Smith, and Lynn Williams. In addition, Trinity Rodman will be training with the team, but she will not feature in games. Um, first question for you, Party, before we get into who is and is not on this roster. It was interesting when this information broke on, on Thursday, right? Because I think you had a certain number of people just kind of shrug, be like, meh, it's she believes, right? They're continuing the experimentation, the sort of testing ground for these younger players. And then you had some people, even in media, be like, oh, my God, what is happening? Is <laughs> Megan Rapino never going to play for the United States ever again? I think the answer is, you know, no. But uh, is this a big deal to you? No, <laughs> absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, it could be a big deal, but I don't I don't think it's time to make a judgment on that yet you know alex morgan didn't make the cut either there vlad goindanovsky has been pretty clear that he's trying to just breed new talent yeah and he has a shorter time frame to do it than you know in previous cycles because of the way the pandemic screwed up the scheduling so you know we we know Megan Rapino as a player, she's a known quantity. Several of these, uh, several players that didn't make the cut are. It's it. I like that he's prioritizing just giving fresh blood as much of a chance as possible to integrate themselves into the squad. Yeah, I mean it's an interesting mix, and I think that this will probably be an ongoing discussion from now until well throughout this year, certainly um, into next year, because there there's this she believes roster, and she believes is. I would say in the past has been a very big deal, um, though, to be completely honest, it's not always a great indicator of who's making rosters. I you even go back to like the She Believes roster of 2019 and who actually ended up making the World Cup roster in 2019. It wasn't 100 percent like things really do change. And I think sometimes when a coach names that She Believes roster and says, I'm not committing to anything, everybody goes, no, but that's the roster. Right. But it actually ends up not being that. Um Obviously, the next major thing that the U.S. has coming down the road is World Cup qualifying, which is going to be down in Mexico in the middle of the summer. Be very interesting to see what kind of a group gets selected for that. Um, I think that there's a number of other things happening here that maybe were not discussed enough. Um, right. So you have Kristen Press, Megan Rapino, Alex Morgan, Tobin Heath all left off of this roster. Um, you have a lot of players from the Washington spirit called in. You have a lot of players from the Chicago red stars called in. And how much of this do you think is just literally being match fit? Because this has been the NWSL off season, right? And yeah. so for a player like Kristen press, who hasn't played a game for a while, you have to imagine she's not 90 minutes fit right now anyway. So oh, how much not. of this is just physical fitness? Do you think? Probably a bunch of it. I think, yeah. I mean, that I think that's something that Vatkoinovsky actually said the other day when yeah. he was uh, doing his media availability that, 
you know, players need to be fit in order to be in camp and play games. That's, that's a very normal thing. I mean, of course, a lot of these players are, you know, NWSL players who kind of aren't match fit because they've only just started preseason, but you know, it, that, that, that is definitely part of it. But I think, I think mostly it's just sort of, Hey, this is, these are the people I want to keep seeing these. I think, you know, it's not just sort of experimentation. I think we're starting to see what, like who the front runners for the next generation are to make this team. And he just wants to see more from them, you know? Right. And this is also not the she believes of the past, right? They're not playing England and Germany and France. You know, this is no disrespect to the current uh, slate of opponents, but it's going to be a different challenge. We'll say at least that, Uh, which even not just in that, you know, you can do quote unquote, just difficulty, but you imagine the way that some of these other teams are going to play against the U S might be slightly different based on what their goals are rather than playing a, a team like England, for example, just like straight up. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, it, I think we're going to see the U S have to figure out how to unlock, right. Unlock some defenses. It's going to be, they are going to have to be probably on the ball quite a bit more as opposed to in Australia. When they, when they played Australia, they were very happy without the ball, right. They were very happy to just sit and then counter quick counter. Um, so I think that is valuable. Cause if you think of that Australia group doing one particular tactical thing in December, you mm-hmm. ask that similar group to do something very different. And she believes yeah, I mean, you're starting to build uh, a portfolio of what some of these players can do. Um, so maybe let's let's switch over to who is on the roster. Um, are there any names in particular that stuck out to you on first glance? Um, at this point, I feel like it's... Again, I feel like I'm starting to see the vision of who Vlatko Andonovsky thinks might be part of this next generation of the USWNT. Um, Morgan Gatra, the, uh, her uh, return to the national team, I think is a very fascinating storyline. It's been a long time coming for her just to recover from those injuries, and she had a really great NWSL season last year. Um, yeah, her... I. I'm still very curious to see Alana Cook get more minutes with this team. Um, and, you know, of this very new crop, I think of the new, uh, hmm, how do I want to describe this sort of group of players that Vladko Androdovsky has decided might be the future? I, I, I don't have a label for that right now, obviously. <laughs> but uh, Sofia Huerta is also one that I'm very curious about. Well, yeah, I mean, I think there are examples here of I think there are also examples here of positions of strength and positions of weakness, right? Where, um, for example, they did call in Alyssa Nair, right? She said that she's 100 percent ready to go. Um, obviously, for goalkeepers, that match fitness element is less of a concern. She doesn't have to run around a soccer field for 90 minutes. Um, but you see also someone like Aubrey Kingsbury you know, she has yet to get her first cap, but she is on this roster. You wonder a little bit, okay, what does this mean for Jane Campbell's future? Right. Um, that's a very strong position for the U S they have a lot of talent there. Some a little bit older, some a little bit younger. You look at positions of, of depth, like center back depth you know, in that sort of conversation of Alana cook versus perhaps Naomi Gurma, right? Naomi yeah. Gurma is, is absolutely the future for the U S and the defense but there are too many people in front of her right now. And, and so you look at a player like that, maybe black Wendonofsky thinks let's get her in her club environment. Let's get at least a professional game under her belt before we have her playing for the U S I don't know exactly, but um, that is a very deep position, especially if they are. And you have to kind of assume if Becky Sauerbrunn can go, she's written in pen here. Um, yeah. Which, which is like, if you think of the, whatever veterans are going to be, a big part of this transition. It seems like Becky Sauerbrunn as captain is one of those players, which I I think is, it makes perfect sense, right? That's one of the people that you want in camp to help people kind of that through line of leadership Um, positions still not quite so deep outside back, right? That does open the opportunity for Sophia Huerta to maybe really ingratiate herself within the group. Um, You see Emily Sonnet in this list, right? 
maybe she's still being considered as an outside back, which is interesting because I don't think I, that's yeah, I think I I think we've been on this podcast before talking right. about how maybe Emily Sonnet shouldn't be the USWNT's uh, uh, shouldn't be an outside back for the USWNT. But hey, right. But it's getting stronger, I guess. Like you look at that and you say, oh, well, there are at least two real outside backs on this roster now. There's Kelly O'Hara and there's Emily Fox. So yeah. we're, we're building <laughs> we're building into having more than maybe just one outside back and a bunch of people who are converted. Midge um, purse isn't listed as a defender, right? No, she's not. She's listed. As, okay. As a I was forward. like, I was like, that's officially in the past, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> and, and that's also, I think with, with a look towards the future and this is the reality. And I'll say this, right? No, this, she believes cup roster is not a huge deal. We're not talking about this year though. Talking about next year. Well, I, I don't want to get there yet. We'll get to the forwards in a second. We're building, we're building from the back. Um, the midfield positions of strength in the midfield have always been central midfielders and attacking midfielders, right? The U S has an immense amount of depth at the number eight and the number 10 position where you're like, how do we even get all of these people onto the field? Um, Sam Mewis's lingering knee injury from last year, plus Morgan Gatra's just really incredible play seemed to be what have opened the door here. Um, yeah, I rate Gatra highly. I mean, everybody knows that I I'm based in Chicago. I've gotten to see her play a lot. Um, I think that she brings a lot of different things to the table and can play a number of different positions. She's got that versatility. Um, but with the realities of the way the U S works, if Sam Mewis was fully 100% fit, would we be seeing Gatra on this roster? I don't know. Um, was if, or Julie Ertz, right there's, she's another big question mark, deep, deep question mark. And then my next question is, so is Gatra considered uh, a six a long time alongside Andy Sullivan, which she absolutely can be. Gatra actually is uh, she has experience as a um, dual six, but she also can push up in front of a, a number six and play the number eight. So, um, but she's just a very different player than say Lindsay Horan, right? They're just not the same in the way that they play, which is great. Lots of different good looks. Just again, just speaking towards the midfield depth there that right, it, it seems makes, like, yeah, it makes I'll, the midfield. Just, yeah. Go, finish go my thought it. real quick um, that we're seeing a very, very good player get a shot. And it's only because I think two players are hurt. Yeah. 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 I see that. But I think, I mean, I think it's still cool that she might get several looks. I think, I don't know. I, I'm excited to see this midfield play a little differently. We, I, I'm excited to see a little bit of the variety that the U.S. does have in those positions. Um, yes, agreed. Uh, an interesting thing for me there is that Katarina Macario was listed as a midfielder, um, despite the fact that the forward line as listed was a little bit thin, right? Um, not a lot of forwards called up, you know, the, uh, distribution of the distribution of, of position line. We had eight defenders, seven midfielders, five forwards. That's pretty normal though. The U S has flipped that in the past where they've had more forwards with the understanding that those forwards could drop back if they need to, as opposed to now you have a number of players that are listed as defenders or listed as midfielders who can push forward. Ashley Sanchez certainly has the ability to push forward. Katarina Macario, um, I think everybody's dreaming of the Katarina Macario false nine debut, right? Um, so I'm inter- I don't think it means a ton that she's listed as a midfielder, but I did think that was interesting because yeah. moving on to the forward line, you have Ashley Hatch, who is, you know, number nine, right? Pew, Purse, Smith, and Williams are all wingers. So we've got a talk about positions of strength, positions of weakness, right? We have, there's a ton of winger depth and you could even put Huerta in that, right? Like there, there is, I mean, (laughs) not to like bring up the ghost of Rose Lavelle playing wide, but she can do it. (laughs) Um, There, there is a lot of, of winger talent in, in the U S pool. And again, you think of the players who are not there, like Tobin Heath or Kristen press. There's just a lot of people wide who are very strong. Then you have Ashley Hatch and you probably have Katarina Macario. Does this seem like it's developing enough options here, essentially? Assuming, again, that Alex Morgan's going to be in the conversation as well going forward. Hmm. 
I feel I feel like it could be a little risky. I it, it could also pan out just fine. But I think if you're sort of in this explore exploration phase, you kind of have to I think you have to give yourself a lot of options before you start narrowing them because you, you don't know what'll happen before a World Cup. You don't know if it'll get injured or in some extremely bad form or whatever. I like the idea of having a surplus. So, I mean, at least temporarily, it's fine. You know, if for the She Believes Cup, Vlatko really only wants to have a couple options, it's three games. He'll, he'll probably manage it just fine. But, yeah, yeah. I I, I would love to see maybe a, one or two people fight for that position a little bit. The number nine, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Um. So where, who would you play there? So you're starting your first She Believes match. Who do you start? I'll say in the central forward position, it could be, it doesn't have to be a target nine. Do you start yeah. Hatch or do you start Macario? And who do you, and oh, who do you pair, I, or who do you put on either side of them? Okay. So, hmm. <laughs> let me look at, let me look at this. This is, okay. I think I'll go with Hatch. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, wait, let me, who is the first game against? Uh, that's <laughs> against a very good Czech, question. I don't have it's against the Czech Republic. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll, st- I'll stick with Hatch. That's fine. Um, oh, now I'm looking at the wrong thing. <laughs> Cause I saw, I, I, I was on Wikipedia and I saw Megan Rapinoe's name and I'm definitely looking at the wrong list. Um, hmm. Hatch. Let's go Hatch, Pew, and hmm. Hatch, Pew, and Purse, maybe? Here's hmm. what I would do. Here, here's my front three. If, I'm so indecisive. <laughs> um, so, I, I, yeah, I mean, it just depends a little bit on, I think, the goal of the game, right? Um, Hatch is obviously, well, it's hard to say. Well, the good news, actually, with both Hatch and Macario is they're both very informed right now. Um, Macario has yes. been playing quite well for Lyon. Ashley Hatch has been, well, I mean, we'll see, because Ashley Hatch has had a couple, has had a, a month and a half off now, but obviously she carried her form from the Golden Boot year into scoring uh, in Australia, which was great. Um, here's what I think I think that you pair, the players who are a little bit more forward facing you put, I think you put Williams and Pew with hatch. Okay. And I think you put Smith and purse with Macario because especially Smith Smith has a lot of experience with, um, well, actually Williams would do this. Be good at this too. I would say that maybe here. Okay. Maybe what I'm really saying is that the players who are comfortable in a two front, the players who are comfortable in a two front on from the wings, um, would likely be a little bit quicker to, to find cohesion with the Macario false nine. And then if you have the players who are a little bit more used to playing in a three front, those would be the players that you would play with hatch. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, with the understanding that, uh, Macario would be more of an underlying playmaker. The one thing that can happen, though, in that respect, and I think you see this in clubs sometimes, is if you have too many underlying playmakers, <laughs> you start to feel like you don't have enough people pushing towards goal, facing goal. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it'll be fascinating to see. I don't know if it will be something that uh, comes out in huge ways in She Believes. I don't really know what to expect from She Believes, to be completely honest. Um, but I wonder if something that you could try just overall is starting to establish a really solid B team. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's what I'm looking at this list of forwards alone. And that was one of the things I was thinking of is, okay, you have your certain a players who maybe aren't here right now, but one very useful thing to do might be, to sort of establish, okay, well, if none of those people are available or if I want to rest them or whatever, who is automatically going to be the next set of people to call on? And sure, it it could be a fluid thing, 
but it might be a fun thing to try. Well, do not you just think, with yeah. Do you think the players who aren't here are the A team? I think maybe. I mean, like if you if we're just talking about the forward line, for example, I think Alex Morgan still is maybe your contender for the A team. One hundred percent. Yeah, I'm more thinking like Megan Rapino, I guess. But oh, oh, I was thinking maybe Kristen Press too. Yeah, I and mean, then, I, certainly if 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 Press continues I don't think, on in the form I, she was in before, for sure. I think. I have a hard time making the argument to just myself that Megan Rapino is a team by the time 2023 rolls around if she's still in the picture. But, you know, if you're just looking at those two players, I think they could probably still make a case for themselves. And then and then you have to decide, well, if those are two people on the if they're the A team, they're taking up two spots, then sure you have to look for their third partner, whoever that might be, but you also then have to look for a B team if those two are the A team. Yeah. And technically, if you're looking for the B team now, and then all of a sudden, you know, players on the B team are better than players on the A team, then they become the A team and you have your A team, B team answers anyway. True. I guess, I'd, I mean, I guess maybe that's not how, in, <laughs> this is just two different mental processes. I don't think that's necessarily like the way that I think about it. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I think that I agree with Andonovsky that, um, with a lot of these players, he's going again, there's some literal match fitness involved, but there's also an element of these are the players that have been performing right now. Um, and, and I think that with a player like Alex Morgan or a player like Kristen press or a player like Megan Rapino, um, Rapino, I think actually did, did pretty well in her limited minutes in 2021, but they were limited, right? Um, Alex Morgan had another, kind of up and down year, right? She had a very good start to her 2021 alongside the fortunes of her club team, right? That productivity dipped a lot. Um, Then someone like Kristen Press just hasn't played for a while, which is totally valid to take the time off, but it's just a reality that you don't know till you know, right? How how that player is going to be feeling once they get back on the field. Um, Tobin Heath is someone who's been out for injury for a very long time, though obviously her limited minutes back at Arsenal have again been very good, but also limited. And right. and I'm just curious, and I think it's hard to tell. I think there's this there's this mindset with the United States women's national team that there's an understanding that because a player is really good, just it like kind of holistically is a very good player, they need to be in a US women's national team environment because that environment is the best way to get the best out of that very good player. I wonder a little bit if that ideology is changing. So you mean sort of like the idea that all of the best players need to be in every single camp. Otherwise that's sort of just, then it means that they're maybe not the best players right now. Yeah. Or, or it's like, it's a nuanced thing, right? That you could have a philosophy where you're like, no, I'm only bringing in, the top scores and I'm only bringing in the players who are doing well on the best teams. I'm only bringing in a group of players that are performing right now, which is hard to do when many of them are in off off season, but um, sort of speaking generally, or you can say, I mostly am only going to be bringing in players that are performing right now, but I understand that player a and player B and player C or on club teams that are struggling, but this player is still showing the qualities that I like. And it's not their fault that they don't have a supporting cast. So we're bringing those players. Um, Yeah. And I think that's the new balance that we're going to see. And I don't think it's going to be 100% one way or 100% the other, but it's going to feel different. There are going to be some growing pains there. You know, there's this other element that these players are not contracted by their federation anymore. They're, they're going to be, contracted for their u.s women's national team participation but it's not wrapped into baked into this whole uh club thing as well right yeah so there isn't probably going to be nwsl player priority anymore because they nobody's contract is being paid by the federation right yeah Um, things are going to change and i and i don't know exactly what is going to happen i think obviously with andonovsky he's going to have to strike a balance and, and even when you look at like Sauerbrunn, he's clearly kind of planting a flag there saying like, that's a player that 
I want in these camps for, for continuity. Um, it, but it might get a little bit uncomfortable. I don't think that there is a player a, I don't think there is an A team and a B team right now. I think it's a lot of let's see. And obviously a player's history and leadership qualities and past performance will weigh into these options because you don't want to go in with an all new team either. That's not good either. Right. But getting that balance right, I think is the key to 2023 being a success. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. I think because of the of the new contract situations, it's going to be a little harder to read the tea leaves on every national yeah. team roster, which right. I think is honestly a very fun thing. Yeah, and I think sometimes it just players. It's going to be it makes sense for some players to just stay home. You know, like Tobin Heath right now. You know, limited minutes. She's doing well. And we know what she can do. Right. But maybe it just makes sense for her to stick around with Arsenal a little while longer, get those, you know, work in that environment, make that tenure with Arsenal as much of a success as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, like, again, Alex Morgan staying with San Diego, her enjoying like a full preseason with them, whatever. That, that stuff makes sense. And I don't think it sort of rules them out of the equation in any way. It's why I said at the beginning when you're like, oh, is it a big deal if Megan Rapinoe isn't on this roster? I don't think she's ruled out. You know, she still has a club team. She still has a club commitment as long as she does, uh, as long as she's playing with them and in good form. I think she's always a contender to be on the team. But you have to, you do have to, you can't pick like 40 players every time. So it's true. As, <laughs> as much as some people might wish that we could. <laughs> yeah. Um, so here, here's maybe my final question about this. And maybe this is why, you know, I'm, I'm pushing this in a, in a particular direction. And I don't know how much of it I believe 100%, but it's just kind of exploring the different avenues of this. Um, the So this is all happening in the shadow of Tokyo, right? the Tokyo Olympic performance, which again, they got bronze (laughs) could have been a lot worse. Um, However, that roster that they carried to Tokyo was predicated a lot on that quote unquote, we know what they can do, but then they didn't really do it Yeah, (laughs) on the big stage. And so I wonder, and I don't know, this is just sort of taking the temperature and taking the energy of it. Does the Tokyo performance open the door for Andonovsky to shake things up in a way that if they had won gold, he maybe would not be able to? Yes. I think that the U.S. women's national team for a very long time has worked on or has operated on the clout of certain players. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, it's not like these players haven't earned it. You know, it's like, okay, you put... There are so many players that, sure, were on the Tokyo roster that are very good and deserve to be at big tournaments. But I don't think, at least in the, you know, in the in a very long time, we've had the truest form, we've had this true representation of maybe who the greatest pl- uh, players in form at that moment are. And I think part of it is, I, I think a lot of it actually is down to contracts and how that, you know, how, how that's been constructed for years. But now that some of that stuff is no longer in play, flat going to and between that and the underperformance in Tokyo this is the greatest freedom I think the U.S. women's national team coach has had in a long time to just sort of blow up the whole plan and see, well, is Alex Morgan actually on the A-team anymore? You know, the, I think what is a really great thing for him and the program as a whole is that there are a lot of great players waiting for the opportunity. And now that, you know, they're that the veteran players sort of underperformed and maybe you know, they just didn't do their best in Tokyo after ma- building a reputation for being able to perform at that level. It feels like the sky's the limit on what Vlatko Anonofsky has permission to try. 
Yeah. And he could totally mess it up. Right. That's that's the yes. thing where I was like looking <laughs> at the reactions, <clears throat> reactions of this roster and just thinking, yeah, he gets to kind of build his own team and it could really work or not. And we'll just have to kind of see. Um, no, of course, of course, every single one of those players has an opportunity to go back on the roster. And I don't even think that I think it makes perfect sense them being left off of this one. Um, but I think he meant what he said about you have to be playing in preseason. You can't, I mean, I don't know, you know, he's saying now, right? Like you can't be hurt. That's not how they handled Tokyo. They brought hurt players to Tokyo. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know if that is a reversal because of Tokyo or if that is a re- something that he went against maybe his better judgment when he put that roster together. Um, it feels a little bit like a fresh slate. And whether I wonder that if is, it helps that Lot Gwinanowski used to be an NWSL coach. In what way? Well, he talked a lot, I felt, about players being in club form, being in preseason, not sort of skipping that stuff. And I mean, the schedule doesn't always help NWSL teams or NWSL players in you know, like, like basically everybody on this roster is going to miss some portion of their NWSL preseason, but he emphasized a lot that club form needs to be there that I think at the very least, that's the entry point for every single person to be in contention for a spot on the national team. Yeah. I mean, I think, right. You have to be playing. That's number one, right? Um, I don't think you have to be setting the league on fire because not everybody's going to have the situation in order to be able to do that. But yeah, you have to be consistently performing. Um, And I think an underrated part of that is like literally playing full nineties, literally being on the pit, like just actual fitness. Um, Because I think that what we found in Tokyo, I think some of it was obviously mental in the circumstances of that bubble tournament. I think that team was more hurt than we knew they were. And I think that um, this emphasis on being match ready is good. This leads me to the final person here to chat about on the opposite spectrum, who was not on the roster, which I saw a lot of um, sort of consternation about Trinity Rodman not making the full 23. I'm going to be honest, from my perspective, based on some of the media availability that she's given over the last couple of weeks, and what Vlad Kowandinovsky said and how the team has handled this in the past. Here's all laying it, sort of breaking it down. Trinity Rodman went from high school to NWSL, right? And she played so many more games on a variety of different surfaces that she, than she had ever played before in her entire life. And against adults. And against adults, exactly. She is someone who every once in a while has had lingering back issues, right? Just, I think, due to the shock of the workload. Um, I think when Vlako Andonovsky has a player like Trinity Rodman come into camp and he says, I'm not sure she's ready to literally play games, I don't think he's saying anything other than we don't want to break this player. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I think that's it. They did this with Mallory Pugh when she was quite young. They, they, there's some history to easing players into this environment. I think it's purely physical, like 100%. I think everybody knows that Trinity Robin is a baller and she's hungry and she's going to be great for the U.S. But I just don't know physically if she can go from the offseason to January camp to a quick turnaround round robin tournament with travel involved, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's all I think that is. I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that party. No, I mean, again, I don't I, I don't think there's really a lot to read on Trinity Rodman's potential. We all know that she is obviously the, uh, one of the big pieces of the future of this team. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think it I'm glad to see that somebody is out there thinking, OK, this person had a really great first season playing against adults in an adult league after coming literally out of high school. But it's a, it's a long process to really start getting used to that environment physically, especially. Yeah. I think it's, I just think it's purely physical. I think that they're just trying to avoid hurting her before the NWSL season starts. Um, But it's also really bad news in a funny way. It's bad news for the rest of the NWSL field because she's gotten to use January camp to get fit. 
She's going to keep training yeah. in the U.S. She's going to come <laughs> yeah. into like her sophomore season just being like totally ready to go. I, yeah. I think Trinity Robin could really tear up the Challenge Cup is maybe what I'm saying. I think that uh, I think that she's going to be ready, ready to go. Honestly, we're just going to keep this rolling. You know, we've got the, the CBA happened. Asian Cup happened. But I, you know, I have a couple questions about this, this roster. So we're just going to keep rolling on, on roster stuff. Um, is there Let's a particular player that you would like to see sort of take this opportunity stand out in these games with with the feeling Ooh. that the the u.s is going to have some opportunities to score some goals i think is is a a decent way to to put this yeah um basically sophia smith i'm looking forward to seeing uh i think for her a lot like rodman i have the same feeling that she is probably a front runner to be a big part of the future of this team. I, you know, I think that that was true for her play at Portland too. I think she was a little bit unlucky getting, but uh, yeah, yeah. She's somebody I'm looking forward to seeing. Uh, I think she has a great opportunity to do that. Um, hmm. Ashley Sanchez. I mean, Ashley Hatch did a lot of great stuff too. I was about to mention both the Ashleys. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think of the players I didn't mention earlier. I think really Sophia Smith is somebody I'm looking for, uh, looking at, especially with the potential to probably score a lot. Yeah, I think for both Pew and Smith, it's about scoring goals, right? I think that um, in their U.S. availability over the last year, um, obviously those two uh, not participating in the Olympics. Um, I think that they are really good playmakers and they pull space and they are very talented on the ball, specifically very good dribblers. Um, but it's about goals. And I think we've seen both of them be kind of shaky with that final, final touch. And so I think for both of them, it's about that next progression of just calmness, calmness in front of the goal. Um, and then this, this tournament might be a decent opportunity for confidence builders. I want to see, where Midge purse fits because mm-hmm. I think that she's a player that talent wise, 100% deserves to be deep in this, this U S conversation. Um, obviously she has a history of it kind of feeling like the coaching staff doesn't know where to put her. Right. It's really good that she's a forward. Um, she's <laughs> a player that actually can play wide and centrally if they in a pinch. Right. Um, I want to, I would love to see some really collaborative work between her and some of the other members of the front line and between her and the midfield, because I know she has that in her, um, or even the outside back that's behind her. Cause I think that the purse is really, really good at getting end line. Right. Um, I just want to see, maybe what I'm trying to say is that I think Mitch purse is a really, really good player. And I want to see some of that chemistry start to build mm. between her and some of the other players on the U S team, because we see it, it's scintillating with Gotham, right? Like her and, and Ifioma Animanu, it's like they're mind melding. Right. I yeah. want to see that on, on the national stage. Um, and I think maybe my other one is just in terms of that team fit. We got to start getting Katarina Macario just like That's rep true. after rep after rep with the U.S., I think, um, because for a number of different reasons over the last 18 months, she has not gotten a chance to to be in in that position. And so I think that if if Macario can, I start her in two out of these three games, I think. Yeah, I mean, again, if we're talking about people that are supposed to be the future of this team, I think Macario's got to, you just got to get her minutes, basically. You have to well, figure out. Well, yeah, like out. the future is now, right? I mean, there's yeah. a whole company year. Yeah, no, yeah. this is, I mean, that's what makes this roster in this period so exciting. We have probably for a really long time waited for the future of this team, and it's here where you get to discover it. Sure. And I think part of it is, yes, getting a lot of them really serious minutes, but Macario is probably at the top of that list. Yeah, for sure. Great. Yeah. Any final thoughts pre pre she believes? I think uh, it's kicking off kicking off next week. Um, who do you think is going to win? Um, probably the U.S. I know that was kind of <laughs> a joke. <laughs> I was like, I was going to yeah. say like one of the other teams, and I was like, no, it's not too mean. No, too I, I think mean. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for good games. You know, I yeah, I think it's a tough. I think I mean, it's, I'll say the same stuff I say all the time. I think it's a tough ask for those teams to come here, first of all, and then 
perform against the United States in front of U.S. fans. Um, I think that it's like all of the the whole deck is stacked in the U.S.'s favor on this one um, in a variety of different ways. Um, are you going to be watching the other tournaments going on during this international break? Um, why not? If I've got the time and they put it somewhere for me to find it, I'm probably going to go find it. Yeah, uh, I'm interested in the in the one they're doing over in England. I think that that should be yeah be very fascinating. I know, very cool that England has uh, started their own little. She believes. Yeah, as they get ready for the Euros, which are also rapidly approaching. Um, yeah, as let's 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 look outside the U.S. for a little bit. We're not taking a break. We're just going to roll through. Sorry, Jacqueline. Um, <laughs> so Asian Cup, China. Asian Cup winners, I which I don't think anyone quite had pegged, though we understand that China is in the top tier of the region, right? They right. consistently qualify for World Cups. They are a team that in the past has made it quite far in the World Cup, but um, they were a little bit of a question mark. They have a very new coach. Uh, it's kind of a new squad. And even they said that after the match, they were a little bit surprised that the success came so quickly um, <laughs> with the new group that they have. They mount a massive comeback. They're down two to nothing against uh, South Korea at halftime. They score three goals in the second half to come back and win the Asian Cup. And we didn't actually we haven't talked any Asian Cup results, but real quick, just sort of running, running down the World Cup qualifiers out of the region. um, We do have China, South Korea, Japan, Australia, due to um, being the uh, the hosts. Yes, because they did lose in their quarterfinal. We'll talk about that in a second. Philippines, which is very exciting. Philippines are going to be making their World Cup debut. And then we found out today that Vietnam will be joining them. So we talked two weeks ago about this expanded World Cup pool and how we're going to see some debutantes. Philippines and Vietnam. That's so exciting. I know the Philippines story. I remember that that was that's super cool because they, in addition to making the world, the world cup for the first time are also for we're first time Asian cup semifinalists. You yeah. really saw them take a leap. They had a, they had a good draw in the quarterfinals and, but they were played a, I think they played Chinese Taipei in a they match did. that went to penalties, yep. but you know, they are the first example of that sort of optimism that that expanded world cup field can bring that, you know, I think I, I think I tweeted about this last week, but you know, it's this great opportunity for a bunch of rising stars or a rising team to say, Hey, why can't our time be now? Uh, And then, you know, start this, hopefully what could be a great journey for them, you know, start this momentum that now other people will have to embrace also, you know, the Federation, other people that are in the women's soccer space in the Philippines and in Asia, but right. Like it's, it's that, it's a first example of the of the promise that an expanded field can bring. It was a very cool story to watch Philippines go to the semifinals. Yeah, 100 um, percent. Disappointing for Thailand, I'm sure uh, that, that they did not qualify for a follow up World Cup after qualifying for for the last one. Although they um, saw which- a shot, actually. They did. Yeah. Well, no, they, oh, that's right. Cause they're going to move to the intercontinental. You're right. You're right. Yes. All hope and is not lost. There's, there yeah. were many different, many different ways to make the world cup out of, out of Asia. You're totally right. They've lost the several games at the Asian cup. It um, doesn't matter. You still got a shot. That's right. Uh, but yeah, I think, yeah, I think you see kind of the diversity of the region. You see, um, I think Philippines got a, a pretty good draw, right. Playing Chinese Taipei in that quarterfinal. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very exciting. These are the kinds of stories that you want going into a world cup cycle. Um, very disappointing tournament for the favorites though, right? Not only Australia, but Japan, both, both teams who I think were kind of lightly penciled into the final, right. Even from the beginning of the tournament, um, Australia, I, I did get a chance to watch that game against, uh, Korea Republic that they lost and, it's, it's, it's like twofold, right? It's one of those things where you watch that game was very competitive. It was very chippy, very physical game. Um, you know, Korea wins it on, uh, a wonder goal, right. On a banger. You think, well, soccer is kind of a funny game. I don't know if that one is the worst performance in the world by Australia, but the significance of it, I think is the thing that, that people kind of took away this doubt going into 2023 yeah. of 
who is this team and what should the expectations be? Right. Right. Like it, it, you can chalk it down to being a fluke. I'm sure. Not a fluke, but it just was a close game. Well, I mean, yeah. right. Oh, I mean, I mean, or yeah, not a fluke, but sort of like it doesn't have to be this grand reflection on the right, team. Right, right, right. Yeah. But uh, it's a, it, it feels like there might be a little demon there for Australia, where for a very long time now they have been everybody's favorite dark horse. Mm-hmm. And they're still kind of not getting the job done. But on the international stage, you're you're willing to give them some leeway. Here, they just kind of had to get the job done. They probably had to make that big statement of here we are. You know, we are finally starting to realize that potential in a certain way. And they kind of just didn't do it. And you yeah. wonder if that's going to be something that sticks in the back of their minds. It doesn't have to, of course, but. That's probably the one lingering question. Again, it wasn't a horrible performance, and I don't think it's this big reflection on the failures or successes of the Australia women's national team, the program, the coaching, the players, anything like that. But that's the thing that I'm curious about. Well, I also wonder a little bit from from what I read <clears throat> from what I read after the match coming out of Australia that it seems like some of the frustration uh, was was sort of that A team B team thing that we're talking about with the U S where Australia brought pretty much their best players and played them heavily and still went out in the quarterfinal. So I think there was some criticism of, well, you brought all these players that are already known entities. So we didn't really develop that many people in this contest that we also did not come close to even winning. Um, And so I think that there's that element. I think that Tony, I think part of that is a comment you make because the team loses though. Right. But that's, that's the gamble that you make. If you bring, as we talked about this with Tokyo, with the U S if you bring the team that is the known property and it's a win now and you don't win, then that is a failure, right? Oh yeah, it totally is. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Japan, Japan is another team that I think, uh, Obviously, they did qualify for the World Cup by making a semifinal, but then they lost in that semifinal despite pretty much dominating play. And um, taking the lead a couple of times, I think. Yeah, right. They really <laughs> just kind of let it slip. I, I'm curious right now, you know, Japan had a disappointing Tokyo Olympics, right? Um, they had a relatively disappointing 2019 World Cup in that you know, they didn't make the final um, in when they had made the final the past two cycles. Right. Um, I'm in or I don't know. I don't feel like I know enough to say definitively where that program is going, but it does seem like perhaps they don't either. <laughs> and I think that <laughs> when and we talked about how strong they've been on the youth scene, right? Like they, they have a pipeline of really, really talented players. It feels like the mentality, my issue might be prop like popping up a little bit just in terms of taking your chances and shutting things down when you need to, rather than opening up opportunities for other teams to sort of take the result. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it was a great Asian cup. I love seeing a new winner. Um, it definitely was not definitive in any way about who is trending uh, at the top end going into the uh, world cup though, obviously this is great for China thought Korea also had a very good, good tournament. South Korea had a good yeah. tournament. Um, I think it's indicative just that maybe the teams at the top are a little bit closer than we realized a few weeks ago. Um, just have a year and they don't know what they're doing yet, which I think is basically yeah. where everyone might be except for the European teams. Right. Cause they're all getting ready for a tournament this year. Yes. That's going to be fascinating to watch too, because we have these teams who don't have a major tournament this year who are kind of treading water a little bit. And then you do have these European teams who are like, no, we need to be ready to go right now. Um, right. Yeah. So anyway, I think it's all. Yeah. But I mean, what one thing I did love about this tournament was that it was actually probably the easiest to watch Asian Cup. Yeah. Which is. Shout out, shout out to Viacom for picking that up on Paramount Plus. Yeah. And that's an exciting thing ahead of an expanded World Cup where we're going to see pro- teams that haven't been on this stage before right. to be able to really start to get an idea of not just the teams that might be at the world cup, but what each region is looking like these days. You know, I mean, Europe has been, it's been an easy region to follow over the last several years, 
But I think now we're, you know, we're starting to get our foothold in understanding what competing in the Asian and Asian women's football is like these days. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I'm not feel like sh- I have a better sense, right, of, of the landscape, yeah. which I think is great. Um, also, just shout out to Sandra Herrera over at CBS, because that's been kind of her main beat for the last couple of weeks, in addition yeah. to the NWSL stuff. And that's great really coverage. Cool. Yeah, great coverage. Um, really, really cool to, to bring that into the fold, because it, yeah, it's, um, it helps even us, right, be more accurate in, in what we talk about. So that stuff is really, really important. Um, yeah, so congratulations to all the World Cup qualifying teams. Big congratulations to China. It's a big deal. Um, and then, yeah, we keep on rolling, right? Asian Cup's done. Euros are next. Uh, probably a lot of regional tournaments. With Con- you know, CONCACAF, they yeah. call our, you know, the, our region's World Cup qualifying is called the CONCACAF Championship. That's coming up, too. Um, yeah, it should be a cool year, I think, in, in international, international football, hopefully. Yeah, um, again, I think we're going to start getting a good shape and understanding of what everybody's up to these days. And it's been a hard thing to follow, especially during a pandemic. The pandemic, I was literally about to say the pandemic thing is also interesting because I think what we also don't know is what things are going to feel like this year, hopefully better than last, right? You know, 2021 was better than 2020. Hopefully this year will be better than, than 2021. Um, the summer tournaments hopefully have a little bit more leeway in terms of surges. Right. But also we don't really yeah. know what the future has in store. Um, I would love for these teams to get a chance to feel a little bit more normal on the international scale. Right. Um, after the deeply weird Tokyo Olympics. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that the goal is just for everyone to play their best. Right. And just to have the circumstances in which they can do that. And I think that that um, is is the hope. I mean, I'm going back to, this is a little bit of a tangent, but maybe just decent to close on watching the winter Olympics, right. In, in Beijing. And I, I 100% think that everything that they are doing over there is to keep people safe. And China is a no COVID country. And I think that that is admirable, all of that sort of stuff. It just seems like still a rough competitive competition environment to to 100%. Right. Um, And it feels a little bit like going back. And so I'm hopeful that what we get to see this year elsewhere is is a little bit bit less like that because it is safe to do so Um, right and you know obviously it's all in with the idea of competing in australia and new zealand uh next year uh australia hosted the australian open this year with yeah and it looked like it was a pretty successful tournament i watched a bunch of that yeah um so you know it seems like People are starting to figure things out on that end. But yeah, I think we're probably just destined for a few more really weird, weird tournaments, weird situations. It's very hard to predict what uh, what this pandemic has in store for us. Well, that's about as good a, a note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pardeep, for joining me. This was a good chat. We haven't gotten to chat US in a while, so this was fun. Uh, shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy. I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Shout out to our distributor, Blue Wire Podcast. We'll be back with you next week with, who knows, more pre- more NWSL preseason, some She Believes Cup games. It's uh, Things are kicking off a little bit. We're warming back up and playing some soccer, so that's very exciting. So we'll uh, be back with you guys next week. <laughs>